the Montvale Muse, stories that connect. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Montvale Muse, the podcast series featuring inspirational, educational, and insightful stories of your colleagues here on campus. I'm your host, Joe DeProspero, and today I'm joined by a woman who truly embodies overcoming adversity by not allowing a potential life-ending incident to affect her will to accomplish the goals she set for herself. Here to discuss that fateful day that almost took her life, but never her spirit, Patty Petrula. So I sat with Patty to talk about the day that was nearly her last, her difficult journey to make it back into the office, and the new unfamiliar stage she now finds herself on. Patty, welcome to the Montvale Muse. I have actually had several people nominate you to be a guest, which is a first for our podcast. Mm -hmm. So when I use the term popular demand, I genuinely mean that. There are a lot of people who have demanded that you appear on the podcast. So welcome. Um, But honestly, I I wasn't sure about having you on at first. And that is not a, um, that's not a knock on you, but I, I thought that most people had heard your story. So I thought, well, I, I don't want to tell the same story that other people had heard already, But in talking to others, um, not only did I realize that many people had not heard your full story, and some had never heard of you, um, but there are still nuances to your story that even I can learn hearing it for the third or fourth or fifth time. So can, before we get to that, can you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do for the firm? So hello, I'm Patty Petrula. I've been with the firm for 11 years. I work in leadership development, and basically what that means is we provide training to the firm. So, Patty, years ago, I wrote a KPMG Today article about you. I also produced a video about you. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell our listeners why and take us through the day that changed and almost took your life? So, February 20th, 2014, I was in the middle of training for a triathlon. I thought to be in the best shape of my life, and I was at the gym. Wasn't feeling the greatest. I took a moment and... I stopped running at that moment. At that moment, I stopped running. And I then experienced the worst pain in my life. My head, it it felt like a thunderclap, basically. And I crashed to the floor. And then after that, I, that was my last memory, so to speak. I woke up in the emergency room. What had happened was my blood pressure had skyrocketed which then caused a brain aneurysm, and then that caused a stroke. So I feel like when I look back on it now, I had these two major things happen to me that can ultimately take somebody's life. And to have survived them both is... is Miraculous. Yeah. Um, Prior to this, though, there was a time when... The doctors didn't have a lot of hope for me to come out of to come out of this, and they had basically summoned my husband to bring my family to the to the hospital to say goodbye to me, including your daughter, correct? Correct. So my my poor child at the time, who was fourteen years old, was walked into a room to say goodbye to her mother. When I heard that, it, it just it's still very hard for me to wrap my head around that because. Sure, that's my, that's my baby, 
you know. But I think deep down I had some <laughs> some miraculous um, force to, to pull me through. Then the doctors were able to perform surgery. It was like a glimmer of hope and another miracle. So I not only survived that, but they were able to perform a surgery that was going to save my life. So I think at its best, social media keeps us connected to the things and people who we otherwise wouldn't have an, an open line to. So your husband, your daughter were, were posting pics of you, or at least your husband was, as you were recovering from surgery. And it gave many people a source of information, a source of inspiration. How challenging was the recovery, and um, what was it like working towards returning to the office and, and a sense of normalcy? So I think my, well, first of all, I got back to work two months earlier than what was originally anticipated. I, I pushed myself incredibly hard and begged my doctors, basically, to allow me to come back to work. For me, I wanted normalcy. To get back to work, I felt like I was a little kid going to, on the first day of school. I had my laptop bag. Um, my, my family saw me off. But it was hard. Um, I think the, the expectations of myself, of, of, of who I was, you know, I wasn't the same person. And I didn't want to let anybody down. So you feel this enormous amount of pressure to, to work and to be this person that you were a few months ago. And I knew that I wasn't. So that, that was really challenging for me. And I can honestly say it's probably still to this day a challenge for me because you're, I have completely changed as to who I was, if that makes if that makes any sense. So how helpful was uh, your, your KPMG family, for lack of a better term, uh, when you returned in your PML and the support that you got there? So a lot of people, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of mentioned the school analogy earlier. They have the send-off, they get to school, and it can be a whole different ballgame depending on, on, on what your support system is like there. So what was your support system like when you were here? Uh, I completely lucked out in that department. Um, Everybody on my team was incredibly supportive when I came back. And knowing that I wasn't working a full schedule, others had to pick up some of my slack, so to speak, pick up my pieces. And the enormous amount of patience that I, that I, I did feel from everybody, it, was, it, it helped me so much. And... It made me feel a little less stress. <laughs> so does you know, because again, the pressure that I was putting on myself was from me. It wasn't from anybody else. And it just wanted, you know, I again, I just wanted to be who I was, but I had to accept that I wasn't. And once I accepted that, I was able to make do with what was now in play. So you had been training to complete a triathlon. And after you were in recovery, you made it a promise to yourself to go back and complete that triathlon that you, you were dead set on completing. Why was that so important to you, and did you ever get there? To be perfectly honest, I was pretty, I was pretty mad <laughs> that this had happened to me. Here I had put in all of this work, and then to have this happen to me, I felt very defeated. However, all of the work that I had put in is what initially saved my life. 
because I was able to fight and to, you know, I was, I was very strong to survive this major blow that, uh, that had happened. So with that, I, once I was able to get clearance, I had, you know, I, I, I begged my doctor basically, and I think you know this part, but he told me to stick with yoga and, and not go back <laughs> to, to doing a triathlon, but I, I didn't listen to him and I started my training again. I wanted, I wanted to finish what I started and I wanted, I wanted to prove not to anybody else, but I wanted to prove to myself that I was capable. And I started training just like six months at six months later for it. And I was able to finish three triathlons since. Patty, you certainly don't need my validation for this, <laughs> but I appreciate the fact, and I'm sure many do, that you've set an example for others, uh, but from a parent perspective, you know, thinking of my kids, for your, for, for your daughter, in that you said, I am going to do this. And I don't care what you say, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this off. Even though you had, frankly, every excuse <laughs> in the book not to complete uh, the triathlon, you went ahead and did three. So um, that's the piece of your story that I always hang on to. That, you know, there's always, a, there's always an excuse not to do something. But if you truly want to do it, and, and it's going to create a sense of validation for yourself, then you, you make it happen. So that, that's, that's a piece of your story mm -hmm. I always hold on to. It's very true. I mean, we all can find every excuse in the book to not do something. And this completely gave me that extra push by signing up for this, for signing up for these races, because it's hard. It was hard to get out of bed, um, five in the morning to go for a swim. It was the last thing I really truly wanted to do. But I also wanted to set an example for my, for, for our girls to see that you get knocked down, you get back up. <laughs> and again and again and again, but you get back up. Let's take a moment to hear about an opportunity to connect on campus. If you're feeling inspired by Patty to get out, be active, and make a real impact on the community, your chance is coming on July 20th in Somerset, New Jersey. But fair warning, you might get a little dirty. Okay, you'll definitely get dirty. A KPMG team is forming for MuckFest 2019. A 5K race in the mud with big and bold obstacles built to test your athleticism and your sense of humor. With proceeds benefiting the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, this is an opportunity to help support a great cause, have a lot of fun along the way, and oh yes, did I mention the mud? For more information or to join the KPMG team, contact Tom Osecha at T-O-S-U-C-H-A at kpmg.com or at 201-307-8334. So you mentioned to me in conversation, Patty, that when you came back to work, it was important to you to do some of the everyday, no big deal types of things that you've done before, including just walking over to people's desks and having a conversation. Why was that especially important to you? Well, when I first came back to work, and I didn't let many people know this, but I had no feeling in my hands. Um, it was kind of something I kept to myself. So it was very hard for me to type, to type out an email. So I either picked up the phone and spoke to people. I know this is like a rare thing that we all do these days. <laughs> yeah, actually talk on the phone, yeah. Right, and, or I just would walk over to somebody's desk, even if it was in another building, I just took the trip. 
I know this sounds like silly, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm able to walk. (laughs) I'm going to walk. And so these are the little things that I have a different perspective on that so many of us take it for granted to walk to somebody's desk, to stand there and to also have this connection with them face to face. I don't think we do it enough. And I think healthy, not healthy, I think we don't do it as much as we should. So as the saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. And as your story has touched more and more people, you found yourself on a number of different stages in front of many, many people. Um, How has it been adapting to being a public speaker? Because it's certainly not uh, a comfortable process for many. It's definitely challenging and I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to do my best in, in adjusting. Um, I do much better at karaoke. <laughs> like <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. I've said before. But, um, you know, I was asked to be the keynote speaker upcoming to the American Heart Association luncheon and this will be my biggest setting. There'll be quite a bit of people there. So I've been practicing and doing my best to get rid of my nerves. However, I don't think I've yet to to not be nervous at anything, even speaking at the lunch and learn here or a walk. But once you get started, it's my, you know, and you're sharing your story, it's my story to tell. So the nerves kind of go away pretty quickly. Um, if it was something that I didn't feel comfortable presenting about, that's a different story. This is this is me. This is what had happened to me. Um, I can I can tell it however I however I, I want to tell it. It's it's emotional regardless. It, it's it's lot you know it's me. Patty, have you listened to the podcast before? Yes. Do you know what's next? Do you have any idea what's next? Uh oh. Rapid. It's time for the lightning round. The lightning round. Okay. Are you ready? This is going to be seven questions. Oh, gosh. Five seconds to answer each one. Are you ready, Patty? I'm ready. All right, let's go. Name a food everyone else but you seems to love. Seafood. Oh. <laughs> All of seafood? Okay, that, that's, <laughs> that's quite a big net. If you're, if you're marooned on an island, which KPMG colleague would you select to help you build a boat to find your way home? Oh, gosh. I think I am. It would be me. I like that answer. All right. Depending on, <laughs> it would be, depend on Depending on yourself. I like that one. <laughs> Best song to work out to? So I go from rock to EDM music. That's I, I fall someplace in the middle there. iPhone, Android, or put down the phone and talk? iPhone. Favorite Montvale area restaurant? Habit Burger. <laughs> Does that count? I that is. Sure. <laughs> Best memory so far from your time at the firm? I love the prom dress collection that we do here. I've, through the years, gotten to do that every year, and I love it. A phrase that your daughter probably thinks you say too much? Clean your room. (laughs) That's fair. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So, Patty, uh, I'm I'm so glad that I finally decided to have you on and and listen to... uh, listen to all the uh, all the masses out there that requested you to be on and at this point I've written an article about you I've produced a video and now I've had you on a podcast I guess <laughs> the only thing left is for me to sing a song about you 
But but seriously, even though I've I've heard pieces of this story, different iterations of it, various times, it, it just goes to show that an inspiring story never stops being inspiring. Uh, there's still a lot of life left in that story, and I hope you continue to push yourself to do what many thought you couldn't. And uh, I can only hope that you encourage others to do the same. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So this is the point where the podcast would normally end, but today we're doing things a little differently for a good reason. Because on May 15th, our friend and Monfell institution, Will Weir, passed away from cancer. He was 55. Always volunteering on campus to support various initiatives for Pride, Veterans Network, KFFL, and more, Will built a reputation of altruism and kindness here in Montvale. So I gathered some of the colleagues who knew him best and asked them to talk about Will and what he meant to them, why he made such a particularly strong impression on people here at KPMG, and what made him so unique. So accompanied by the song, Can't Find My Way Home, with Will on lead vocal, and with Pride Month as a fitting backdrop, this is what I heard. I would say Will Weir was a man of great character and integrity. He was a free spirit. He never judged anybody because he didn't want to be judged himself. I think he truly embodied what KPMG is about, about giving, about being selfless, about being true to yourself. I think Will was just one of those people that always thought of others often before himself. Someone who never met Will, the best way to describe him is just a ball of energy, a positive ball of energy that he would constantly fight for somebody who couldn't necessarily stand up for themselves. He was um, a passionate person, but also that he had a, a very soft and kind heart. And he was not afraid to express his opinion. He was not afraid to be um, confrontational. He was the mayor. He, he knows everybody. And if he didn't know anybody, he would make sure he learned who they were. struck me how easy it was for him to talk to anybody about anything, you know, in multiple languages. So anytime we would be out with Will, he would talk to everybody. And sometimes we'd go out for lunch and he wouldn't sit down with us until a half hour into the lunch because he was busy meeting somebody and talking with somebody. He just had such a great compassion for people. And um, every time I saw him after that in the cafeteria, he would continue to speak to me in Spanish until I understood what he was saying, which I never did. <laughs> we were in for the Veterans Day Parade. Will just randomly started talking to people, and then he would ask them where they were from, and they would say, and then he'd start talking to them in their language. He loved to scare me. He thought that was hysterical. He would hide under my desk and then go boo, and sometimes I didn't see him, and then I would start screaming, Will, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You'd ask Will, hey, Will, how was your weekend? You know, he'd come in. So oh, it was great. I learned a new move in Karat Maga. And he'd, like, you know, proceed to put you into a headlock. <laughs> Will loved performing. And it was awesome because he actually had a few recordings on his phone. He would play the recording of uh, him and I doing a duet together. And he would always rave and say, oh, she's got an amazing voice.
it was amazing how, yes, he touched everybody here in Montville, but he really touched everybody around the firm. I've learned from Will that you should accept everybody as they are and um, be courteous no matter if you're a partner or you're the janitor here. Everybody deserves to be treated the same way. What I learned most is I think I'm going to try and be more compassionate towards people and, you know, take that extra time to talk to my neighbor. He really had a huge impact on the firm and was extremely well-known and extremely well-liked, so he will definitely be missed around the campus, for sure. For me, it's hard to sum him up in just one word or one sentence, you know. Just things I wish I could.